0: Morning. I just want to introduce our guest this morning. You may not realize uh, I actually came back from vacation because I am so excited about hearing our speaker this morning. Um, my, uh, you know, my my motto has always been: we only have friends in it Connect. And some of you guys know that we've been blessed over and over and over again because of that commitment and that, and that principle. You know, we just don't kind of just bring anybody in here and, you know, just say, hey, you know, good luck, you know, <laughs> have a great time, say whatever you want to say. Like, we kind of know where people are coming from. We know, like, the DNA. We know the, the kind of the lane that they're running in. And Pastor Josh Monty is here with us this morning from Life Point Church. Let me tell you a little bit about, first of all, his church. Um, he planted a church in 2012. I'll let him tell you a story uh, if he decides to in, in February of 2012. And, and they're boasting somewhere between 1,200 to 1,500 people in just that two-year period. Um, one of the fastest growing churches, as far as I know, really in America today. And God's using them. He's a member of the Ark. How many are familiar with the Ark? Raise your hand if you heard of the Ark. The Association of Related Churches. And uh, he'll tell you a little bit more about that and kind of what Connects doing in relationship to him. But um, they planted a church. He and his wife Kim. has two beautiful children. Turning Point Church. Um, they're doing a great job. They're in Kentucky, by the way. Kentucky. I'm bringing people from Kentucky up here. Is that crazy? I'm telling you what. We got Cajuns and Kentuckians, you know what I mean? So I don't know the kind of jokes they tell in Kentucky, but I'll, I'll let them do that. But um, we have some mutual friends, and um, basically, we're, in, we're, we're, we're a new friendship. And, 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 and I got to uh, go on a fishing trip with Josh in Montana, Big Sky, Montana. We went fly fishing together for, what, four or five days together, right, on the Bighorn River. Neither one of us had done any fly fishing. It was obvious he hadn't. <laughs> And I just want to say, I was way better at fly fishing than he was, That's, let's just be clear about that, I caught way more fish than he did, and there was a lot of sunbathing and stuff that he was doing while I was catching fish, but um, you get to know people when you're out there in the wild, Do you know what I'm saying, like you get to know people and you get to see kind of their true character and what they're like, and I just fell in love with this guy, he's a lot of fun, and we just hit it off really well, got to spend some quality time together, and just kind of got close real fast, and um, The more I got to know and the closer I got, the closer I looked, the more I liked what I saw. And you can really tell a lot about somebody when they're away from their church, when they're kind of, uh, you know, unplugged. And, uh, kind of, you know, you don't have to worry about what people are going to say or think. And it was one of those kind of a trips where we could just kind of just drop any masks or any garb or any kind of, you know, who people think we are type thing. And, and we just, we just connected. And I just said, Hey man, um, I know you're going to be coming up here and we've got something going on this week that I'll let him tell you about. But, um, He's my friend, and, and I hope that you guys welcome him. Let him pastor you. Will you let him pastor you this morning? I believe he has a timely word, and I hope you have an apt reply. Amen. Would you, would you just give a warm, connect welcome to Josh Monty as he comes? Pastor.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here. And after that introduction, I cannot wait to hear what I have to say. Just, I sound really smart in that introduction. Now, let me say this. I mean, I like to, uh, yeah, we're from Lexington, Kentucky, if you can't tell by my accent. You know, and I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I have two bachelor's degrees, a, a master's degree, and the dumbest accent on the planet. I just It's just how God put me together, you know, whatever. So I'm here, and I'm honored to be here. I love your pastor. I heard success defined this way one time. Success is when the people closest to you think well of you, and your pastor from a distance. And we had met before, and he didn't even remember it. We were like at an art conference in Florida, and I met, and I was like, I immediately I saw him, you know, from across the room, and and we had we had met each other like one time, but and and I immediately hated him, because um, he was bigger than me, like, and I, so I immediately hated him. But then I got to know him, and I was like, man, he's just a great, he's he, and so. Y'all, are, y'all have a great church, and I looked at the website and I watched the sermons and I studied you guys as we were coming up and trying to figure out how to plant a church in Lexington, Kentucky. And from a distance, your pastor is an amazing man. He is way better up close. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm here this week. Um, tomorrow, there's going to be a bunch of church planners here at your church. Uh, learning how to start something like this in cities all over the country and world. And I have the opportunity to come in and be a part of this. And this church is a major part of it. I mean, your generosity to partner with ARC has changed lives. I'll be honest with you. We're two years old. We received funding from ARC to plan a church. And so I just want you to go home today knowing that because of your generosity to give and to give faithfully, that there are 12, 1,500 people a weekend in a two-year-old church in Lexington that you may never see that are hearing Jesus every week because of you. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, it's so cool. I mean, how many of you know, man, we're better together? It is just more fun to do this with people. And man, what I really wanted to talk to you about today was just the idea of being a champion, for somebody else. The idea that God has put you here, not just to fulfill your own desires and really to c- become a success, maybe even in your own eyes or your own mind, but th- I think that God has put us here to make a difference for somebody else. If you brought your Bibles, why don't you start heading to Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to talk about it here in a second. And l- let me tell you this. I like to consider myself your pastor's redneck little brother. You know, like... We just, and so you need to know something about Southern preachers. I mean, we're different. We're just different. We work on what I like to call an amen quotient, okay? If we don't get enough of them, we just keep going. So this could be the 915 slash 1115 service if you don't get right. So I want you to, it was so different. It was so different. I've, I've taught all over the world, and I used to go on the, I used to lead mission trips into Central and South America, and that was my only job. And I'd go into these places and they would introduce me and I'd say, Good morning, church. We're so honored to be here today. And half the room would stand up, Yeah, yes, Jesus. He's so right. Yeah, Lord Jesus. It's Saturday, Jesus preaching Sunday. We love it, church. And then, and then, but then I get to other churches and you can like hit this point that's just like blowing their minds off and they're like, That's good. So let's hit a balance. Let's like run right there in between <laughs> today. Let's just see what God does today. I think we're better, I think we're better together. And so uh, if, you, if you're in Exodus, let me kind of bring you up to speed. I don't know what your background is. Maybe you grew up in church, and so you've heard this before, but maybe not. But there was a, a moment in time where God's people were in captivity. They'd been in captivity uh, by the Egyptians for about 200 years at this point. And a man named Moses, who had born of the Hebrew, was born of the Hebrew people but was raised in Pharaoh's house, became a grown man. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was actively opposing and enslaving the Hebrew nation. And, and when Moses became a grown man, he actually got into, the Bible says, an altercation in Exodus chapter 3. And the result of that altercation was he actually killed a man. Now it's interesting when you go back and look at the story of Exodus because the Bible says that Moses actually looked this way and this way. He wanted to see if anybody saw what had happened. And then he buried the guy. You fast forward the tape and Moses is now in the backside of the desert, the Bible says. He's on the backside of the desert watching his father-in-law's sheep. Okay? And church, you need to understand something right now. You can write this down. The absolute only thing on the planet that is worse than being on the backside of the desert watching sheep, um, is being on the backside of the desert watching somebody else's sheep. (laughs) Okay? So he's on the backside of the desert watching his father-in-law's sheep, and God begins to speak to him through this burning bush, this bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. It's this totally strange thing. And if you don't get anything else out from the message today then this point, it it, it should be this, church. If a plant starts to talk to you, just do it. Like, whatever it is. If a plant starts to talk to you, just do whatever it says. So here this bush is talking to Moses, and we get a chapter and a half of Moses fighting with the creator of the universe and telling him all of the reasons why, God, you can't use me you got to go find somebody else I understand that your people are enslaved but you got to go get somebody else I can't be the guy you know what I think it was and I thought about it I mean Moses had a lot of things that he felt like disqualified him from it but you know what I think every night when Moses laid down and went to bed and maybe some of you can relate to this I think every night when Moses went and laid down and went to bed I think he saw the face of that man that he killed as he took that last handful of sand and covered him up. And the devil will, do, will stop at nothing to remind you of the person that you were yesterday. And try to rob from you the promise of what God has for you tomorrow. And every night he's laying down and he's trying to, he's trying to reconcile in his mind. And, and then now this bush is saying you're the guy. And he's giving him all these reasons not to. You got, if you're in Exodus, in the fourth chapter, we can go there now. And uh, I, wanna, I just want to read, read you kind of, we're getting towards the tail end of the fight between Moses and God. And Moses said to the Lord, God, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So what he's actually saying is, God, I have, I have a speech impediment. You know that. I can't get in front of people. My, my tongue gets all tied up, and I'm not eloquent. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Now when I saw that, I thought, man, that's so good. You know, God just in his goodness, the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit is going to drop some magical speaking bomb on Moses and... And then he's going to be able to speak. And, and what we're going to find out here as we move forward in the story of Exodus is God was faithful to his promise. But God didn't do it. He used someone else to do it. I'll show you. And Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Anybody ever been like that? God's starting to speak on your heart and saying, man, it's time to serve. You're a part of a church like this. And, and God saying, man, it's time to lead a group. It's time to get on a team. It's time to be a part. It's time to start that outreach that you've been dreaming of. It's time to, it's time to do the thing. That, and, and every time that, 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 that God starts to speak that into your life, you start telling him, No, God, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm a murdering stutterer from the backside of the desert. you got to go get somebody else. And he looks at God and he says, God, please send somebody else. At this point, God's kind of had enough of this conversation. And it said that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? This, this is the older brother of Moses. I know he can speak well. And he is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. What's interesting about that, the Bible says he was already on the way, because you need to understand something, church. Your God is already working on a solution before you even know there's a problem. Amen. He, said, he said, your brother is on the way the way. He's going to help you. Your brother is a great speaker. He's going to teach you. Your brother is a great speaker. He's a great leader and I'm going to get him to help you out. Maybe you feel like Moses today and you don't feel like you could be a champion. You don't feel like God could ever use you in a dynamic way and maybe it's the people that you have around you. We're going to talk about it. Now I want you to skip forward to the 27th verse in the same chapter and I want to show you, now we've had a chapter and a half of Moses fighting with God, saying, God, please get somebody else. I can't speak. And God's going, no, you can do it. And he's going, God, please get somebody else. I'm a murdering stutterer from the backside of the desert. And God said, no, you can do it. And he's going, please get somebody else. And God's like, fine, I'm sending your brother to help you do the thing I've called you to, not to replace you. Now let's go over to Aaron, and I want to read you the conversation between Moses or between God and Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he went. That's it. That's the whole thing. There was no fight. There was no chapter and a half of like, oh, but God, we, you know, uh, so you know, blah, 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 and this reason and that reason. In fact, I, I see Aaron come alongside of Moses and do all these amazing things with his brother, but if, if it was you and me, we would have responded totally differently. If I was Aaron... And God says, "Um, Aaron, uh, yes, God, I need you to, um, I need you to go help your brother, Moses. Where is he? And God's like, he's on the backside of the desert watching sheep. And I'm like, man, I don't want to go to the desert. It's hot. And then God would be like, this is the Middle East. It's all hot. And then, (laughs) and then. Like, I don't want to help my little brother. Like, what are we going mean, to do? And God said, look, look, I've heard the cry of my people, and uh, so I need you to go get your brother. Y'all are going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go, and then and that's going to be. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now, God, that's starting to make some sense to me. You want me, Aaron, to go get my little brother, Moses, and we're going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to be all in charge, and I'm going to be like, Hey, listen, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then Moses is gonna be like, yeah, that's a great plan. Yeah, all the way, Yahweh. Like I'm down. Like that's our let's go, let's go. And then about halfway through, then God would be like, um, Aaron, well, you're like, just hold (laughs) up. Ugh man, this is embarrassing. Um, you're like this close to the plan. (laughs) Like, um, okay, so yeah, you're gonna go get Moses, and yes, you're gonna set my people free. Um, but you're not gonna be in charge. It's actually gonna be Moses. I need you to help your little brother. <laughs> really? <laughs> Look, God, I'm not. Um, you're talking about m- 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 Moses, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, God, I'm not one uh, to tell uh, people their business. Um, when it's in, uh, in delivering uh, entire people groups. Um, and I don't know if you guys have done background checks, um, but Moses killed a man. <laughs> and God would be like, I know. I need you to go anyway. And then so this moment that we see in the old Ten Commandments, anybody remember the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments, glued on beard, flowing in the wind? <laughs> like, look, and he's like, Pharaoh, let my people go. When you read the story of Exodus, that's just not how it happened at all. In fact, uh, the first three miracles, or the first... Three plagues that happened were not done by Moses at all. They were done by Aaron. The first three times that Pharaoh was addressed by these two men, it was not by Moses like the movie showed. It was by Aaron. In fact, the situation was like this. Moses would come in right here, and he knew what to say, but he couldn't say it. Aaron was standing right here, and Pharaoh would be there. And he and he would look at him, and Moses would be like, "Jump, jump, 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 jump." Aaron's like, "Mm, mm, mm. You need to let our people go, huh? Uh-huh. Mm, mm, mm. Now, or we're gonna send frogs." He had his brother's back And when God promised Moses That he would show him how to speak And he would teach him what to say God wasn't going to bring down Some magical angels to do that job He brought his older brother Who had every reason in the world not to get behind his little brother. His little brother who was raised in the palace. His little brother who had a speech impediment. His little brother who was a murderer watching somebody else's sheep on the backside of the desert. Moses in the Old and the New Testament did more for people than any other person outside of Jesus Christ himself. There is no doubt in my mind that you are never sitting here in this place in this time in this way without Moses doing what Moses did to deliver that people from Egypt. But you never get Moses if you don't have Aaron. Moses would still be sitting in that same place talking to that same bush, giving him a thousand reasons why God needed to go find someone else. And I wonder if maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe for some of you today, you feel like Moses, that you're constantly reminded of who you used to be. You're constantly reminded of your own shortcomings. And maybe God would speak to you today, and maybe what you would hear from me today is that God can use you, that He made you on purpose and for a purpose. God has plans for your life, and His plans for you are good. If you're taking notes today, why don't we write some stuff down together? Um, If you feel like Moses, if you feel like Moses, number one, God can use you absent of your flaws, but more than likely, he will use you in spite of them. God can use you. I mean, he could, I mean, he could go find the perfect person, right, I guess. Somebody that never made any dumb choices or something, but unfortunately, he stuck with us. And instead of giving God all of the reasons why he could never use you to do something great, what if you heard this verse today that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That God has set you up for a win. Here's the really cool thing about who God is and how he works he blesses you with the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit to do things you could never do without him. And then when you do things that you could never do without him, he rewards you for it. It's the single greatest system in the world. He can use you absent of your flaws, but more than likely he'll use you in spite of them. Church, I, I mean, I know. I mean, we've, we've planted a church in Lexington, Kentucky. We're two and a half years old. Churches like yours had a major part in what we've done. We're doing three services a weekend right now. In September, we'll add a fourth. Um, We're going to launch another campus in January. It's just like this, and it's just like we couldn't have done it. And here's the reason that I think God has allowed me to be a part of that. Because if you ever get an opportunity to get close to me, and I'd love to meet every person in the room, like you'll realize something Really fast. He's kind of dumb, and surely God must be doing it, because there's no way he could have figured that out. <laughs> I think God uses guys like me so that when, he's, when lives get changed, addictions get broken, marriages get healed, wrong things get made right, and people are restored and redeemed to the call that God had put on their heart and then on their life in the moment that they were created, that when all of those things begin to happen and people get around guys like me, they realize that it wasn't me. That guys like me would always be used to point people to the one who actually did the life change. So God can use you absent of your flaws. More than likely, he'll use you in spite of them. Number two, God doesn't just want you to do something great. He created you to do something great. Like, he made you for it. Like, it's not just a hope. Being a champion for other people and being a champion for the cause of Christ is not, like, limited to a select, elite, Navy SEAL-type few. It's for everybody. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 and the 10th verse. You know this verse, that we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Number three, the people you surround yourself with will either be a catalyst or a crutch. The people you surround yourself with will either be a catalyst toward the great things that God has for you, or they will be a crutch to allow you to lean on the bad habits and the brokenness of your yesterday. When I look in the story of Aaron and Moses, I see that Aaron had a a huge opportunity to be a crutch. For Moses instead of a catalyst to the greatness that God had put on his life. That very first day, they go up to Pharaoh and Moses whispers to his brother and then Aaron's be like, hey, yeah, you need to let our people go. Oh, yeah? Watch this. Boom. Stick turns into a snake and then eat your snakes. And then they go home and they're sitting in the tent that night. And he's like, and Moses is like, you think he's going to let them go? And Aaron's like, I don't know, man. I mean, this snake thing was pretty cool, but We'll see. And then Aaron probably looks at his little brother, and he says, listen, how about tomorrow? How about you do it? How about you do the miracle? And you talk to Pharaoh. I believe in you, man. You can do it. And every night, he's just telling him, hey, man, I believe in you. I believe in you. And the reason that I know that is by the fourth miracle, Moses did it. By the fourth miracle, Moses began to speak, not through his brother anymore, but directly to Pharaoh. And God was doing something new in his life and was raising him up to be the leader that God had always created him to be. And I know that the conversation that was happening every night in that tent wasn't, Hey, you know what, Mo? I've been thinking about it. And um, you're not good at this. <laughs> like, God should have probably used me. Because you're not good. I mean, I've been crushing it on the miracle thing here lately. And i uh, been speaking really good. And I'm just, I just think God could use somebody else. It can be a catalyst or a crutch. And I just pray that you would understand that today, man, show me your inner circle and I'll show you a picture of your future. Let me me give it to you like this. If you have a vision for your life that you can do by yourself, it is less than God's best for your life. Man, that was like better than what y'all just amened. Like like that was so good, it blew my mind and I wrote it. If... (laughs) If you, if you have a vision for your life that you can do by yourself, it is less than God's best for your life. If you can be a husband all by yourself, never get any help. If you can be a daddy, if you can raise kids, if you can do marriage, if you can serve, if you can do, if you can live this life and you say, you know what, I'm just gonna do it the best I can all by myself. If you can, if you have a vision for your life that you can do by yourself, it is less than God's best for your life. The God of perfect community created you to do this together. We are better together. That's right. Come on, church. Maybe today you feel like Aaron. Anybody feel like that? Like you got all the reasons in the world. You're like, God, but man, I want to do something. But like, how are you going to use me? And then we've got this weird church conception that if you can't preach or sing or hold a baby, they're like, there's just nothing for you to do. So you're just like, they're fine. They don't need me. It's easy to walk into a church that is this great doing this many amazing things and say, man, they just don't need me. How could they use somebody like me? Where could I ever help? I'm not going to lead. I'm not going to preach. I mean, what, how in the world could I ever? Let me give you this if you feel like Aaron today, and you could have been standing out in the desert arguing with all the reasons why you couldn't be a part of something, that you would maybe say it in this way. You don't have to be in front to change the world but you do have to say yes. Amen. You don't have to be in front. In fact, in my church, the way we tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, in our church, and I know it's the same in this one, you know, I'm the pastor, but it's not like pastor and then everybody else. Like, it's like pastor and everybody. We're going to work on this together. And I tell my church, I promise to do the thing that God created me to do if you'll promise to do the thing that he made you to do. Amen. You do you, and I'll do me, and together we'll see lives changed. Yeah, come on. I see a lot of times we don't serve because we want to be the boss. I wonder what would have happened if Aaron had made that decision. Okay, fine, God. If you're not going to make me number one, I'm out. If you'll only serve to get position, you will never be in position to experience the power. Serving other people is going to change your life, church. Serving other people will change your life. I have no indication that Aaron had ever done a miracle before he said yes to God. I have no indication that Aaron had ever done anything great or amazing with his life. But I see a guy that looked Pharaoh in the eyeballs and said, let my people go. I see a guy that stood next to his brother as the seas parted. I see a guy that became the priest of an entire nation. That his life was forever changed. And here's what we always talk about when we talk about serving. Man, you can impact somebody else's life. You can impact somebody else's life. And I believe it's true. But I believe that the thing that God is going to use to change you is the moment when you roll up your sleeves to serve someone else. In my church, I say it in this way all the time. Serving in the church is not the destination. I don't think that Jesus died so that you could be an usher or a greeter or a worship leader but here's what I believe all the way down into the bones of who I am serving in the local church isn't the destination but it might be the vehicle to get you there that I think that so often our lives don't change because we never adopt the heart of our Jesus who said I didn't come to be served I didn't come to be served I came to serve And in our American Christianity, where we come in and we do our hours sitting on our blessed assurance, (laughs) that God would say, there's an impact that you can have that only you can have. And if you'll serve, it's not just going to change somebody else. It's going to change you. Number three, let me give you this. There are lives waiting to be saved on the other side of your obedience. That it was when Aaron said yes that God was able to set up people free. It was when Aaron said yes, not when Moses said yes. It was when Aaron said yes that God was able to see people set free. That there are people waiting to be saved on the other side of your obedience. I know a lot of times in the local church we say, nah, surely Josh, I mean, like not me. I mean, because I can't preach and I can't sing and I, there's just no way that God could ever use me. I went to the United States Air Force Academy. Um, I played football there, actually, back when I was uh, as big as your pastor. <laughs> and I played football there, and, and, and it, was an amazing, it was an amazing experience. I ended up down in Alabama, I, where I got a degree in biochemistry, a degree in biology, and I have a minor in uh, biomechanical engineering. Yeah. Use that all the time now. <laughs> I say that because I had gotten into medical school. And I remember driving down the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, just like there was this hole in me. Have you ever felt like that? Like... I think I was made for something. But all I had done was ever serve the God of me, and I had chased trophies my entire life. I needed somebody to tell me I was good enough, and so I just ran from thing to thing to thing. In fact, when I went to the registrar's office at Alabama and she asked me, What do you want to major in? my question to her was, What is the hardest thing you do here? There was just a brokenness in me, an emptiness, because I was waiting for somebody else to tell me I was approved and somebody else to tell me that I was good enough. I'd gotten into medical school. I'd graduated from college, and, and I was sitting one day. I, I, I remember that this, this feeling, this, uh, I didn't know it, what it was at the time, but it was depression, had begun to kind of take over. Over the course of about a year, I had begun to get sadder and sadder and sadder, feeling Less and less satisfied, and more and more empty. I chased everything. I mean, if there was uh, if if there was some sin that I hadn't figured out how to get myself into yet, I don't know what it was because I was trying everything. And I was broken, and I was scared, and I was so empty. I remember getting so depressed driving down the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. That I had actually begun the process of planning to take my own life. And the saddest part of it, church, was the only thing that kept me from it It wasn't the fear of death, it was the fear of the fact that I'd become so isolated in my life that I was scared that if I actually took my own life, there wouldn't even be anybody to come to the funeral. So, on a piece of paper, I was successful by the measure of the world. And yet in my soul, I was broken. A next-door neighbor had been inviting me to this church, a church plant. I didn't even know churches could start. I didn't even know that's how it worked. And she said they met in a high school. And I thought, well, that's a cult. And (laughs) she said they met in a high school. And you could go up to the high school and they had a service and she had invited me over and over and over and I never went I always had a really good excuse why not to show up on a weekend and I'll never forget the Sunday that I pulled up there in May and I sat in the parking lot and I waited for all the people to go inside you know I'd gone to church a year earlier one time I didn't grow up in church I'd gone to church earlier, and uh, a year earlier and I'd sat there for 20 minutes and nobody said hey to me the entire time until a guy tapped me on the shoulder and told me I was in his seat yeah anybody ever y'all been to that church too huh Um, and I left that church I didn't hear the message of the gospel I was searching desperately for some truth and I walked out of there I never heard the message of the gospel because that guy was so mean to me and, and I walked out and for a year I battled with this depression as I was graduating school I'd come to the place where I was ready I was not only giving church its last shot I was giving life its last shot I knew that if I walked into this church this day And they didn't have the answer that I was looking for That there wasn't a place that had the answer I pulled into this high school parking lot And waited I didn't go in on time I waited out in the parking lot Just praying to Jesus That I could get the nerve to just drive away Man I didn't want to go in But I walked in the door The service had already started They were about two or three good songs in and I, was, I heard the electric guitars I heard the drums I was freaking out a little bit I didn't know how to handle it The cafe was empty Everybody was already in the service It had been going for 10 or 12 minutes at this point point. And an older lady She came walking up to me and She grabbed my hand She could tell that I was like freaking out And getting ready to run And I stuck my hand out to shake her hand And she took my hand and she moved it out of the way And she gave me a hug a scared 20-year-old kid who was depressed and just looking for a home, looking for a place, looking for some answers, looking for some hope. She walked me into the auditorium where the music was already going. She sat me on the back row, and I sat there as the music finished, just trying to understand what was happening. I don't remember a single word to a single song that day, and I do not remember any point from the message. But at the end of the message, he said, if you're tired of being the boss of your own life, That there's an attitude that we, as the created thing, would know a better way to do our life than the one that made us. And and the Bible calls that attitude sin. But if you would say, God, today I don't want to be the boss of my own life anymore. I want to give it to you. If you believe that Jesus died to make that relationship right, and if today you're ready to be washed white as snow, to hit the heavenly reset button, to say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior, then I want to lead you in that prayer heads bowed and eyes closed I prayed that prayer I prayed it I gave my life to Jesus that day church and it wasn't because of a pastor and it wasn't because of a worship leader it was because of a lady that was willing to stand in a cafe and make a scared lost 20 year old kid feel like he had an opportunity to come home I walked out of the service that day And she was peeking during the altar call I don't know I know I can tell right now We got some peekers in the room And she said She grabbed, she grabbed, my, she grabbed my hands I'll never forget this She grabbed my hands as I was walking out And with tears running down her face She said welcome home I called my dad that day and said, Pop, I can't go to medical school. I have to go spend the rest of my life telling people what I just learned. He was so mad. For six months, he, never, he didn't speak to me. Thirteen years later, he was the first person I baptized in my church. I may, not, I may be a Moses, I don't know. But that woman, she was my errand. She changed me, and she didn't even know it. She never taught a sermon. She never sang a song. She just made a scared 20-year-old kid feel like he could come home. And I believe this, that when we roll up our sleeves and we make the decision to be yes for somebody else, lives change. I've led thousands and thousands of people into a relationship with Jesus. I've baptized hundreds and hundreds of people and traveled all over the world. I've started a church that in two years has seen 900 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. We have done things that I never thought that I would do. I'm raising my children to know. Jesus, my wife and I, we pray together. We serve together. We love each other. We're committed in covenant forever to each other. I baptized my own daddy. I've seen things happen that I never thought I would see. I've, saw, I've seen marriages healed. I've seen uh, addictions broken. I've seen wrong things made right over and over in my life. And it wasn't because of a pastor or a worship leader. It was because of a little old lady in Birmingham, Alabama that was willing to say yes. And I want to invite your church into an opportunity to be somebody else's yes. I want to invite you into an opportunity. Maybe you've been sitting here for a little while and you just haven't gotten in the game. Maybe you've been sitting here for a while and you said, man, I just need to rest or I need to take some time off. I praise Jesus with everything down in the bones of who I am that that woman got up out of bed that morning. She didn't take a Sunday off and she let a kid come home. And today, you can begin that process at 5 30. Church 101, take a step. Kick the tires, baby. Let's do it together. And here's my commitment I'll go back down to Lexington this week, and we'll go kick the devil in the butt. And you stay up here, and you kick the devil in the butt, and let's just meet in the middle somewhere. But maybe you come in here today and you say, Josh, I'm actually, man, I want to do something with my life. But I've never made the decision to quit being the boss. I've even done church for a long time. But I've never let God be God. I've been in control. I've been trying to do life my own way. Anybody there? You ever, you ever, you ever felt like that? Today, maybe for you, for the very first time in your life, you would say, Josh, today I'm where you were as that 20-year-old kid. And today I'm ready to make the decision to make God number one in my life and to accept what Jesus did for me. I'm not gonna call you down front. I'm not gonna whisk you off to some double top secret prayer room. All I wanna do right now (laughs) is just pray that prayer for you and give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Can I pray that for you right now as we close? Father God, we love you. And I thank you. God, I thank you for people that have made a way for us to come home Jesus, I thank that you, you made a way for us to come home. Church, right there in your seat, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would say in this place today, just pray it right now in your seat in this way. Just pray it right there. Say, God, I acknowledge the sin of my life. I admit that there is sin in me. You have not been the Lord of my life. Jesus, you died for me so that I could live for you. I give you my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me white as snow. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room today. If you prayed that prayer and you're saying, today, that's my stand. Today, I make that commitment. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. Right now, just look up at me all over the room. Come on, let me pray for you. Come on, all over the room. I see you. This whole, man, awesome. Praise God for you. I see you guys. Man, praising God for you. Stay bold. Step up. Change a life. Make the decision. Father God, we just come to you today. We thank you so much for the decisions that have been made, for the choice to step up and be a part of somebody's change. God, I thank you for the change you're making in us. And we just pray that today would be a turning point in the life of this house, that today we would say, no longer will I come in and kick tires or or wait for an opportunity. God, I'm going to make a way. I believe that I could be a Moses for a people. I believe that I could be an Aaron for somebody. And God, wherever you've called me to be, I just say yes today we give you the praise we give you the glory and the honor come on church give jesus your best hand of praise in this church today